Hi, good day, Michael Cross here. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, is our country and our state in a pickle of a mess. You know, before I go into what I found for vote fraud, I want to talk about the foundation of our nation and what is required for its healthy longevity. So, our republic is based on people that care about it and that care about others. So, basically, if you have a population that doesn't understand this and is not willing to make some small personal sacrifices financially and with their time and resources, then we fail to have a healthy republic because if everybody is out to get theirs, that whole notion of me, 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 then you don't have a majority of the populists willing to make small sacrifices for the health and well-being of our republic. And that same attitude of me, me, me breeds greed and in so doing corruption. And then these elements then permeate, begin to permeate government. And then they become our representatives, our elected officials, the laws that they pass, our mayors, our city council, our county commissioners, presidents, governors, and then we're in a real pickle. I've long maintained that we get the government we deserve, and it seems harsh, but it's true. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, when I was a kid, when I was a boy, you know, I was in the Cub Scouts, the Boy Scouts, and they teach you, you know, do nice things. You are bettering your community. When you go out in the woods, when you go camping, there's garbage. You may be, well, if you find it, you are taking out somebody else's garbage. And, you know, uh, next door neighbor, she's elderly and can't rake her leaves. So you go over and you rake her leaves. You don't charge her. You just volunteer your time. You're helping the community. You're making it a more pleasant place to be, a more beautiful place to be. And that same attitude is carried forward. You know, we learn that as as youngsters into adulthood. And then those are the elements, the traits, characteristics that we look for in elected officials. And if they don't have that, then they don't get elected, which is healthy for the republic. But currently, when you have corruption in in the voting system through one means or another to where the will of the people is not maintained, then corruption gains a much stronger hold, which is where I believe we're at in Oregon and where I believe we are at in America. And this was, you know, I'm not going to go into, you know, who did it or who started it or why and all of that. That's an entirely different episode. I'm just I'm just talking about it occurs, it's here, we have to deal with it. So right now, uh, somebody sent me some information about House Resolution 5717. I understand this is Oregon legislation, House Resolution 5717. 
the 30% tax on all guns, a 50% tax on all ammunition, and there's something about a federal license being required to own, handle, or shoot any firearms. Obviously, this is draconian. Obviously, this is um, not conducive to... This is a violation of our Second Amendment rights. And we can't... I mean, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. If you look up the legal definition of infringe, to license something is an infringement. Our founding fathers knew, and, and you know what that what that entails. But while we're talking about founding fathers, let's talk about what it took to form this nation and what it will take for this nation to continue. Imagine this: you fled England through tyranny and because of tyranny and high taxes and um, oppression. Uh, no freedom of worship, um, and you're looking for a new place to maintain, to settle and live and maintain, that is the founders of this nation. And, you know, they, they came here, they had to fight their way to get here, to, to, to keep it. And... You know, so when we had the revolution, this is before the Constitution, this is before the, the, the Bill of Rights, before the Declaration of Independence. We were English people. This was basically a territory of England at that time, or, or they were trying, they were proclaiming it to be. So, um, the fighters of this for the independence from England, they didn't have the founding documents. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? It would be like, I mean, it's hard to come up with a parallel, but, but my point is, is that we have the benefit of all of these documents and we are still having a hard time keeping and maintaining our nation, our republic. So the men and women that founded this nation, I mean, kudos, hats off. It's an, it's an amazing feat. And if we fail, if this nation fails, then their efforts, everything that they did and fought for, and all of our, you know, World War I, World War II, all of, all of the wars is for nothing, for nothing. We have let them down if this occurs, if, if our nation fails. So, it's just, I find it amazing that our founding fathers fought for this stuff. It was a notion, it was an idea that they could be free. And now, they succeeded, and we have these documents, our founding documents, and we have these elected officials that are trying to strip away our rights, even though it's on paper, it's written down. And this is written in such a way to where the average layperson understands it. And, you know, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that you don't need to be a lawyer to be a judge on the United States Supreme Court. You don't need to be a lawyer. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? 
But what you need to be is an individual with a heart and a soul that understands the, the fundamentals of this republic and what is required for it to maintain and continue. That is much more important than where you graduated from law school. Because those things, while you can teach them, it's the passion, it's the heart and soul that maintains those attributes in an individual. They could have all the education in the world and then be corrupted, influenced by foreign countries, say China, whatever, you know. So we've got some real problems on our hands. And it's my contention that under the current state of affairs that criminals, it's criminal, okay, to take away our rights. When the when Oregonians were down at the state capitol demanding to be let in uh, while there was a session going on, this was just recently, um, they are perfectly within their rights to demand access and entrance into the building. So those accepting orders to stop these Oregonians from going into their building, we paid for it. The people there paid for it. Our tax dollars paid for it. Our tax dollars pay for these people's salaries. We pay the light bill. It's our building. They work for us. So when this kind of thing begins to take hold and the response from people following, you know, doing this is I'm just following orders. I'm just following orders. Well, Anyone in law enforcement and anyone that's an elected official has sworn an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution. So that is primary. On day one, you are sworn in. You are sworn in, and that is the order that you are following, the Constitution. And I was in the military, and I served in the, in the United States Air Force, and I'm glad that I did. I think that it's a good foundational basis for many young people to have. And, you know, it came up in part of the training. When is it okay to not follow an order? You're in, again, you're in the military. When is it okay to not follow an order? And while it's rare, it can and does occur. The, it can occur if you are being ordered to do something that is unconstitutional. So, I mean, in the heat of battle and everything else, I mean... It, you know, that's that's a tough one. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you can't you can't have soldiers, you know, rethinking everything. But again, in a perfect system, or at least a system that is following the guidelines, the rules set forth, the framework by our founding fathers, the lieutenants don't get promoted to captain, don't get promoted to major, don't get promoted to colonel and, and general until and unless they have demonstrated that they understand these things. They are not going to give an unlawful order. That's the way it's supposed to work. So, 
you know, I think that right now I don't have any faith based on what I've found in uh, the voting system. Uh, I was a Republican nominee for state attorney general for Oregon, and initially, you know, I mean, many people think that, oh, do you need to be an attorney for that? No, you don't need to be an attorney for that. And you need to be somebody that that cares about people, that cares about their country, about their state, that cares about the future. That's much more important than where did you graduate from or where are your credentials. The current sitting attorney general, Ellen Rosenblum, um, has good credentials, and she's been a judge for probably 30 years, and she's been the attorney general, I think, since 2008, so that's, I believe, it was 2008, so that's about 12 years. And she believed that she works for the governor. Kate Brown is currently the governor. And she, she said, in her own words, and it's on our website, michaelcrossfororegon.com, she said, I work for, for Kate Brown. I'm her lawyer. Do you realize how scary that is? Our founding fathers wisely set up checks and balances. And that is, they knew that people are not perfect. They know that the system's not perfect. They know all of these things. And that's why we have checks and balances. That's why when you have one branch of government, now true, they're in the same branch of government. Executive branch is the attorney general and the governor. But it's an elected position. So I've never heard of an elected official that works for another elected official. They work for their constituents, the people that got them into office, the people that can take them out of office. That's who they work for, the citizens. And she actually believes that she works for the governor. And the reason this is so scary is because in Oregon, you must zealously defend your client. And you've got attorney-client privilege. There are a number of privileges between the attorney and their client. And with this understanding, that means that Governor Brown can do whatever she wants. And A.G. Rosenblum will be there, Johnny on the spot, so to speak, to defend her actions and her words. And that is not the process and the role of Attorney General. The role of Attorney General is to protect and defend the people. And one of those things that they could be called upon to protect the people from is an overbearing or tyrannical government. In other words, if the governor wants to make a mandate that's unconstitutional or unlawful, then the Attorney General can and should step up and file suit to block and stop the enactment and um, the coming into force of that legislation, executive order, act, what have you. That is the role of a good attorney general. So I have no faith in our voting system. I have no faith in our elected officials doing their job in a constitutional manner and following their oaths of office. Why? 
because they have continually demonstrated that they don't care about that and that is not their their priority they don't care so basically what's going on is you have a group of criminals again this is a criminal act to do things in America against the constitution you have a group of criminals that have taken control of our legislature of our house of our senate of our presidency of our governorship and our voting systems and they have taken control and they don't want to give it back to the people so some of the things that i found in investigating vote fraud in Oregon most of this is available on our website which is uh oregonfreedomfoundation.org that's oregonfreedomfoundation.org but so check that out i'm not going to go into all the numbers but it's pretty clear to me that the numbers that came in are inflated and the reason they want the motor voter system so badly is because you have a pool of voters that routinely aren't going to vote. They aren't interested in participating in that process, but they need them to be registered because then they can manipulate those votes. We have people that have sworn affidavits. Um they were in the hospital in a coma and in this case her sister signed a sworn affidavit that somebody had voted her ballot. It wasn't anybody in the family, which that would be illegal too. So there is a group of people that is doing this they are voting people's ballots that they aren't going to those people aren't going to vote their ballots so they're going to vote for them in the manner that they so desire whoever's paying the highest price what have you so you have about 30% of the population that is in this pool that's routinely not going to vote somewhere around 30% give or take. With that pool of voters, you can manipulate easily any election any election out there. So, while I was touring the Multnomah County election facility, um the basement is huge down there by the way. There are two large overhead doors you can drive a truck into. Uh one of these doors has a camera on the inside. The other door does not have a camera on the inside. There's a camera on the outside. So if a truck drives in, the camera on the outside sees the truck drive in. It's parks on the loading dock. You don't know what's coming in or going out. There's no camera. And the and the elections director, and this is another flaw in the system. Tim Scott is is an employee that should be an elected position right there Tim Scott is the elections director he's been there for about I think he said 8 years well he came in in 2008 so that's during the Obama administration he was put in he spent 10 years in Virginia which is very interesting in an elections capacity so he basically works for You know, I don't know who his boss is, but ultimately I would guess it would be maybe county commissioners, maybe um the city, um the 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 mayor Ted Wheeler. And you know, it was a well-known fact that my campaign promise 
was to investigate Mayor Ted Wheeler for felony rioting, which he was doing, and also to investigate uh, District Attorney Mike Schmidt of Multnomah County for failing to prosecute 70% of the cases that went across his desk. Portland, no shocker, was in chaos, mayhem, uh, lawlessness abounded. And my, my campaign promise was to investigate Mike Schmidt and to bring law and order back to Portland, back to Oregon. Those people did not want me to get elected because they did not want to be in court. They did not want to face felony charges and possible corruption and racketeering charges. So Ellen Rosenblum's election, I scored 14% higher than the, the four years preceding, so 2016, the Republican nominee for Attorney General, Daniel Crow, a very accomplished uh, West Point graduate. I got 14% more votes than he did in Multnomah County uh, versus four years ago. Ellen Rosenblum got about 95,000 more votes than she did four years ago. So how is it that I did so much better, that's a double digits, that's huge, than a West Point graduate in Multnomah County, and yet, somehow, Ellen Rosenblum got 95,000 more votes. So if, you, if we take a look at this, um, the population increase in Multnomah County from four years ago versus 2020 was only 1.01%. So where did these votes come from? And I believe they were manufactured. They are not real people. They could be real people, but they didn't vote those ballots. Your average Multnomah County resident was tired of the lawlessness. They weren't out there at midnight breaking store windows and causing problems and kicking people in the head. They were in their homes, they were scared shitless, and they wanted law and order back. The type of... In, climate that I'm talking about, there was a homeowner that was flying an American flag. He was actually participating in the, in the riot, in the demonstration, whatever you want to call it. He was peacefully, um, you know, in the crowd and participating. As they go by his house and saw this flag, they didn't realize that the owner of the house apparently was in their midst. And it became known that this flag needs to come down. The, the organizers of that, the leaders of that riot that evening said, this flag needs to come down or we're coming back tomorrow and burning your house down. So this is the environment in Portland, Oregon. And so, no, those voters did not want to continue this lawlessness and mayhem. So... Continuing on with what I found in Multnomah County. By the way, Multnomah County can swing the entire state. They have enough registered voters, legal or illegal, as far as real people or not real people, because you can, you can create, using the online portal, you can create a voter out of thin air. It's not even a real person. They ask for zero identification. Try it if you don't believe me. Anyway, um... I'm not encouraging people to break the law, but from, a, from an academic standpoint, if you don't believe me, try it. Don't actively register the person, the fake person. Just go through the motions and see what it says. So, um, 
So I'm touring the facility. They have, they have, um, first of all, all of the, the ballots, there's about a half million ballots that were cast in Multnomah County, November, 2020, almost half a million. And they had to, they, they sealed each box. Each box contains about 400 ballots and they had to seal each box. And it's actually a felony to break that seal. And they had to break all those seals about a month later, early December, for a recount for a Gresham Merrill race that was 13 votes apart. And so all the seals were broken to do this recount, right? And um, so then you go over and they have thumb drives. They have thumb drives that they in, that they insert into the servers of the election count, the ballot counting soft, uh, the machines. Yeah, I did, I did not know that. So the entire, now, to be fair, these thumb drives, I've never seen this style before, but they have them, they make them, they're using them. They have a combination lock on them. Only certain people know how to access the thumb drive. Okay, I don't know, I think it's three people. Maybe it's slightly more than that in the Multnomah County office. So, um, the entire Multnomah County election department and indeed the results of the state are contingent upon two people certifying that the thumb drive they're inserting into this server does not have any information on it and does not have any viruses on it. Two people. Two people in the state of Oregon control the entire elections. So you you are hoping that these two people are being honest when they certify that these thumb drives don't have anything on them that they're not supposed to have on them. And what I would say is we need to go back to the old way where nothing is inserted into these machines. You don't make it possible to put anything in the machine. And then the results are put up on video monitors. And then you have reporters in there and they are the ones that share this information because the reason they're using these thumb drives is to report results periodically through the evening and in the next, the days following. Every 15 minutes or whatever, they use a new thumb drive, okay? There's no reason to do that. And I don't think they should be putting anything in, as I said, into these machines. Simple. So, back to the camera that's not there for the unloading and bay, loading bay, whatever they're using it for. Um, the elections director, Tim Scott, knew that there was no camera there. And I find it interesting. There are cameras in many locations in this building. I won't say that it's 100% secure, but it's fairly secure. There are a lot of cameras in the building. If I had to guess, this is a multiple uh, level um, building and there are probably 30 or 40 cameras in the entire building. So there's a fair number of cameras, not what you would have in a casino, certainly by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a fair number. Why is it that they don't have a camera in that loading bay? So I finished up the the um, investigation at Multnomah County Elections Office by going back down to the basement. I wanted to see the basement again. And so I, I went 
through the entire basement, except for one room, the boiler room, which was locked, and I didn't have a key. He wasn't volunteering a key. So it said boiler room on it, and that door I didn't go into. Other than that, I saw the entire basement. And I, I took many pictures. So when I'm finishing up, I'm going down this one row, and in the back corner of the basement, there was a pallet that was labeled emergency water. Tucked in the corner between the wall and this pallet of emergency water was a suitcase. And when I initially saw the suitcase, I was angry. And I was shocked also. And I'm like, what is a suitcase doing down here? And it was a brand new full-size suitcase. Didn't even have dust on it. And the elections director was about five steps behind me. And he seemed equally surprised. And so... I said, well, what what was in the suitcase? Because I, I, I was shocked initially. What is the suitcase doing here? And then it's like, okay, it's here. Why is it here? What was in it? So I asked him what was in the suitcase. And he said a computer was in the suitcase or a server. I mean, I don't, it could have been a server and he called it a computer. Who knows? He said a computer was in there. Okay. Why is somebody sending, and it had a luggage tag on it, and it said Tim Scott, the building address, a number, a phone number, and something at the top, which I'm going to go into. This was all on the luggage tag. We have photographs of this. I'm not sure if we're going to post it on our website, but if you become a subscriber, I will send you the pictures at Michael Cross, or excuse me, uh, OregonFreedomFoundation.org. So, anyway, and he hefted it, and he was shocked that it still had weight in it because he told me that the computer was no longer in there. So he opened it up, and he was clearly flustered, and in there were um, like joysticks for disabled people to, to, to be able to vote. And so he started rifling through the entire thing, and I thought that was a little odd. I mean, he was just like was kind of just going through it all I mean I just thought that was kind of strange because you could tell it's just like oh he was he was kind of freaking out but also on the tag was ACS unit 5 ACS unit number 5 that's Alpha Charlie Sam Alpha Charlie Sam unit number 5 you Google that, you come up with some interesting stuff. And I'm not going to go down a rabbit trail, but if there's any vote manipulation software going on, it's going to require, as an initial input, population data and other characteristics of people. And when you Google ACS Unit 5, that's what you find. So, it's possible, and I'm not saying it happened, but I'm saying it's possible based on my analysis of that building, the elections office in Multnomah County, that when this pallet of emergency water, labeled emergency water, was brought in, these were cardboard boxes that it was in, um that some of those boxes didn't contain water, but they contained ballots. 
there were about 12 boxes uh, missing off the pallet, approximately. I don't know for sure. But this pallet of boxes was shrink-wrapped. You know that wrap they put around a pallet of stuff so that stuff doesn't come loose. So the seal was broken. Boxes were removed off the top. So something had happened. Somebody decided they wanted emergency water or somebody had brought in ballots in boxes labeled as emergency water and unloaded them and possibly run them through the machine in the November election. The date, I believe, I didn't get a picture of it, but the date, I believe, when this water was brought in was August. Um, So again, I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying that based on the fact that there's no camera there, and they know there's no camera there. First of all, why is that, right? Um, It could have happened. It could have happened. And nobody would be the wiser. It's not on video. Not on video because there's no camera. So that, friends, that is the state of affairs that we are in. And the other thing that I wanted to talk about, and this gets back to the beginning of of the recording, was that... It's frustrating to me that we have multimillionaires. Again, it their health and well-being of this republic is in, a requirement of that is that people need to make contributions to its well-being. And what I see happening is I mean, America, it's great. If you decide Monday morning or whatever morning during the week you want to open a business, you go down and you file a fictitious name and with the Secretary of State, an LLC, corporation, whatever, file the necessary documents, pay the fee, and you're open for business. You don't have to ask permission from anybody. And it's your business or whoever you decide to have in that business, if it's a partnership or corporation with shareholders. And so in America, you can make a lot of money. If you have a good idea and the drive and passion to make it happen, you can make a lot of money. And so what's happening is these people, it's the me, me, me attitude again. And they have made their millions. And how much are they putting towards their country to continue this legacy, to continue this ability for people to be free to, to freely worship, to have free speech, to freely raise a family, to freely open a business, to, to do what you want, to travel cross-country with no checkpoints. What are they doing to contribute to, to that? In many cases, nothing or next to nothing. I think that 1%, 1% of whatever they have should be spent on the health and well-being of this nation in a good cause, not something that's they're, they're padding their own pockets and are not accomplishing the goal. A good cause with, with people and organizations that have proven themselves. Because what's also going on in the siphoning off of this scant money to begin with, in my contention, is that you have these organizations and that are saying they are doing these things and they're not. And I think what we're talking about there is controlled opposition. So if they say they're pro-life, if they say they're pro-Second Amendment, 
we'd like your money, we're going to do these things, then I would ask, what have you accomplished? What has Oregon Right to Life accomplished? You know, aside from paying salaries and hiring their friends, not a lot. So, 1%. So, basically, if somebody's got a million dollars in their retirement account and... um, 1% of that would be, what, $10,000? $10,000. $10,000 would go a long way in the right organization in righting these wrongs if they write the check. Now, if they don't write the check because they're being greedy and selfish, then, again, we get the government we deserve. Are they even going to be able be around to spend that million dollars? Is the nation going to even be around to spend that million dollars? Is that million dollars going to be taken, requisitioned from the government, wherever, whatever country it's it's maintained in? It can happen. Surely it can happen. To say it can't happen is naive. So 1% of your retirement is not out of line. If you want to do more, great. But at least 1%. And I know several people. They have the ability to write these checks and they're not. In this country, because of this greed, is going to pay the price. Because our founding fathers, they, they, they pledged their entire fortunes if they had a million bucks in the bank, they said, if need be, I will spend my million bucks to buy uniforms, boots for the soldiers in the cold, ammunition, muskets, whatever. Shelter for these men and women that are fighting for our freedom. Where are they now? That's the problem. They are not willing to contribute and step up, and you also have corruption that has taken hold in our nation and our state. And, but the only reason that corruption has been allowed to take hold is because we let it. We let it. For every one of them, there's a thousand of us. And until and unless we stop that, it's going to continue and it's going to get worse. Because if you look at China, they make a $100 pair of Nikes or a $1,000 iPhone, um, those are built with slave wages. And if you think it can't happen in America, you're wrong. I mean, these people, they're working, I I don't know, do they even get a day off? Do they work six days a week or do they get one day off a month? I I don't even have any idea. I know that it's, it's terrible and they're working like 12, 14, 16 hours a day, and they're living in, in, in horrible conditions, or working in horrible conditions, do you realize that they have a net around buildings to keep people from jumping off and committing suicide? So it's corporations that are doing this, and America is becoming of the corporation, by the corporation, for the corporation, not for the people. And when they can produce these goods cheaply and line their pockets and their bottom line, they're going to continue to do that until and unless we stop that. 
if enough people decide they don't want to support that anymore and they take their dollars somewhere else, then it would stop. But if we keep buying these Nikes, if we keep buying these iPhones, now granted, you know, what choice do we have at this point? So we have gotten in this situation. So I can remember, I mean, I, 20 years ago, I was selling cell phones back, you know, and I don't know if you remember Cellular One, they kind of, and we had Ericsson that made cell phones. We had Nokia, Samsung, um, lots of brands were out there. Where are they now? Were they bought up? I mean, I mean, so that's, it's controlled opposition. So if you're, if you are iPhone or if you are, you know, whatever, um, are you going to buy those companies up so that you eliminate your competition? Probably. So now we don't have a choice. And so the slave wages continue and the slave labor. But that's what they want to turn. They, they are looking at America and they are licking their lips. They are chomping at the bit because we have the most oil in the world. We have the most resources, um, the most land, you know, and, and they want our country. And they want to control us so that we become their slaves, making their products to line their pockets and the, these kinds of things. So until we stop this from continuing, it's going to get worse. And we need to face facts that criminals have taken hold of our elected offices at all levels with greed and corruption in their hearts. And, and they have also corrupted the voting system. We should never have allowed vote by mail. Never. I mean, the very right that our ancestors have died for, our right to vote, that's our voice. And they, and they paid the ultimate price. And now it comes in the mail and you have it on your kitchen counter for up to three weeks. People used to dress up on election day and they would go down there so proud you should be proud. Most countries don't have this. It should not be laying around on the counter. So that's what happened. In the sake of convenience, we've been screwed. So unless we get rid of vote by mail, we are going to continue to have fraud. And we will not have a fair country, we will not have a fair government, we will not be represented, and they will continue to tax us and take away and take away our guns. That's what they want to do. That's what they're working on right now, that House resolution that I talked about earlier. House resolution 5717. But you know what? I'm sure it's not the only one. And it's just going to continue. So, we need to get our state back. We need to get our nation back. I love you guys. Uh, if you want, send me an email. Michael at michaelcrossfororegon.com That's michael at michaelcrossfororegon.com Our website is oregonfreedomfoundation.org I love you guys. 
and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. I don't do my episodes with a script, and I realized after I recorded this episode that I left out a crucial part of my vote fraud investigation. So, um, as you probably know, you, you may not know, but Steve Trout, the state elections director, was fired via text message from Bev Clarno, the uh, then Secretary of State. And one of the reasons, several of the reasons given for his firing was that he was um, rightly so pointing out security shortcomings in the computer system the fact that it's an old Microsoft system, it's not even supported by Microsoft anymore. I mean, how ridiculous is that? You know, come on, man. And, um, but most importantly, at 7.52 p.m. on election night, the IT department flashed what they called a security update onto the state computer system. This is eight minutes before before 8 on election night, uh, something was put onto the main computer system which was has not been examined, and that's illegal because it is required that the computer be certified that it's working okay before it starts counting any ballots. So, what was put on the system at 7.52 p.m.? And the article that, that came out about this is now gone. It's not even on the Internet. You can find the you know, mention of Steve Trout being fired, but any reference to what happened at 7.52 p.m. on the computer system on election night has been deleted from the article. Now, I have a screenshot of the original article showing it, thank goodness, but other than that, it's been it's been deleted, and my uh, you know attorney I'm working with submitted a, a freedom of information request about this security update to the Secretary of State's office, and what they got back was you uh, you know something about an email, like we're asking about an email. No, we're not asking about an email. We are asking about a security update. So they're they're dodging it. Okay. What have they got to hide? I think we know what they have to hide. They're hiding fraud. They're hiding computer manipulation so that they can control the outcome of the election. I forgot to add this onto the episode. There it is. I love you guys. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.